Scouting out of the blue corner. He gives you your football meat and potatoes style and is the undisputed king of detailed player analysis. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Steve the Scout, the voice of the pro football scouting podcast. We got week six up for you next. This is the best damn NFL recap show anywhere. Excited to bring it to you next on the pro football scouting podcast. Welcome to the pro football scouting podcast. This is Steve the Scout. I am the voice of the show, the creator, and I am pleased to be with you guys for another week of football. What I strive to do is give you the best information you get anywhere on the NFL in terms of game day coverage after the game is over. I pl- my goal is to give you the best pre-play analysis and post-game analysis that you're going to get anywhere and being the only show that actually reports on every single game at this level of detail. Uh, I'm glad to be with you today again. Uh, this is the number one ranked show on all of iTunes last week in the sports category. Uh, a little bit about our schedule. Every Monday and every Monday um, is going to be, well actually every Sunday, excuse me now, is a recap of all the games that happened on Sunday with my post-game analysis, breaking it down. Wednesday is question and answer day, um, and I'll also talk on another topic on Wednesday. Emails, if you have a question and want to get on the show, email me at stevethescout81 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, my website, stevethescout.com. Look forward to having you guys reach out. And soon, we will be releasing the Pro Football Scouting Network on YouTube, so I am I am excited about that. So um, let's let's get things kicked off today by talking about what happened in the game where the Cleveland Browns visited the San Diego Chargers. In my opinion, the Cleveland Browns lost this game, and although the Browns got did they, they got blown out, I thought Baker Mayfield looked good considering what he had to work with. Um, Mayfield hurt his foot. Early in the game, after slipping on, all, on, of all things, a first down marker on the sideline. Just a freak thing. Uh, he lost really his his mobility the rest of the game and played hurt. So you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, it made it harder for him to throw on the run. And combined, with, and combined with the Chargers' dominant performance from their secondary, that made it even harder. And that's why I say, based on what he had to work with. Um, they did not, you know... They did not allow the Browns wideouts, and I'm referring to the Chargers secondary, did not allow the Browns, the Browns wideouts to get really any separation. Casey Hayward w- was outstanding. Uh, good game from number 24, Trevor Williams. Uh, I saw him a lot during the game. Uh, he, he, was, he was very tight on his coverage as well. Uh, made, made some big plays. Look, their secondary can tackle and blitz because they also got... They got Derwin James back, back there. Uh, I said before the NFL draft, the best defensive player in this NFL draft is Derwin James, and you're going to see it. And so far this year, he's proved me right on that. James has the ability to line up in the slot, to line up outside, to play center field, and blitz on the edge. He offers an insane amount of versatility. Now, let's 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 look at the offense. Let's look at the offense here for the San Diego Chargers. Look, their their quarterback Philip Rivers 
it's disgusting how underrated he is pre-play. It really is. He's so he's so good pre-play. I mean, he is the he is the elite of the elite. He's in that conversation. He does he does a great job playing chess with your defense. People think of Tom Brady and Drew Brees like that, but Philip Rivers, uh, Alex Smith, some of these guys are really good as well. Um, he did a great job playing chess with the Browns defense before the snap. It helped out Melvin Gordon. It helped out the Chargers receivers. And the Chargers literally played a near-perfect game. I don't know if there's any team on on Sunday that played as perfect a game as the Chargers did. Phillip Rivers was at an MVP level again. And if Phillip does not get into the Hall of Fame, that will be a damn travesty. He is, in my opinion, the best pure quarterback of that class of 2004, which also included Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger. The Chargers won this game in the trenches. They won at the point of attack. Russell Okung, their left tackle, held his ground against Miles against Miles Garrett a lot better than what I would have expected. And the Chargers on offense, they did a good job in play calling. Um, the, the the what they did with play calling, it also helped Miles Garrett stay off guard, uh, handing the ball off to wide receivers on reverse plays, getting it, getting the play away from him. They did a really good job. Uh, really keeping him neutralized. Uh, Melvin Gordon was explosive out of the hole, and he is a load to bring down, uh, and just just a chiseled guy. I mean, you know, take take a look, take a look at Melvin Gordon. He's you know probably one of the most jacked running backs in the NFL, but he does he 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 does he does so many other things well. Um, I also love how the Chargers continue to use their other running back, Austin Eckler. He has great speed and balance, and he's a different kind of back from Melvin Gordon. Chargers wide receiver Tyrell Williams, excuse me, he caught two deep balls in the end zone. Both times, Phillip Rivers exposed the Brown coverage scheme. So, looking at what happened after that, the Chargers, you know, they didn't they didn't have to blitz. They were just naturally better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. The Chargers wide receivers and tight ends, they got dirty. They blocked, especially their tight ends. The Browns were out of position all the afternoon, and the Chargers really just really ripped them apart in the open field. Uh, they looked as good as they have all year. I mean, what can I say? I thought the Browns should have been more creative with how they got the running backs involved on a consistent basis in that game. The Browns couldn't protect Baker. He was too hobbled to run. The receivers couldn't gain separation, and they were just flat out outplayed. Final note, I am a big, I am a big fan of Browns linebacker Joe Sherbert. He is an instinctive young linebacker and really the quarterback of that defense. I hope he's okay. I know he got hurt. My MVP of that game, co-MVPs, are Phillip Rivers and the San Diego Chargers um, in the San Diego Chargers secondary. They were my MVPs of that game. All right, and before we get to the next game, let me actually introduce, for the first time ever, we we have a guest on our show. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to Malcolm Horn. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a little bit about Malcolm. Um, and look, this is after nearly eighty episodes. Finally, letting someone else rock the mic. Uh, Malcolm Horn. He is he is from Germany. Um, I've known him f- for a good six months now. Malcolm has spent the last eighteen years studying and playing the game in Germany, mostly mostly at the safety position. Malcolm is smart. Football IQ. He understands schemes player assignments, coverages, and the fine details of the game. His analysis, in my opinion, has almost always been spot on. 
And when I say almost always, it's just because, you know, might have a little disagreement here and there, but uh, his, his, his scouting game is tight. Let me just say that. It's really good. Uh, he watches every game every week live, um, whether the game starts at 3 a.m. in Germany or 8 p.m., uh, he is he is a true lover of the sport. He is someone who is deeply and passionately in love with the sport of football. And it doesn't matter where you're from. If you ha- if you have the knowledge and you have the passion, you're you're going to be good at it. And I think it's really exciting to hear Malcolm talk, just because he has a different perspective on the game. Because we, you know, he grew up in Germany, so things are a little bit different over there. You know, as I have him on the show more often, I'm going to be excited for him to kind of explain some of the uh, differences internationally with the game of football over there. Growing up, you know, he didn't have the luxury of seeing games on TV, so he had to find other ways to get access. His love for the game is undeniable. So without any further ado, let me introduce our guest today who is going to be commentating on five games, giving his post-analysis, Malcolm Horn, from Germany. Welcome to the Pro Football Scouting Podcast, Malcolm Horn. Well, thank you for the warm welcome, Steve. It's certainly well deserved and on point. No, I'm just kidding, man. I appreciate it and I'm looking forward to being a part of the podcast. So, without further ado, let's get right into it and get my first game report in. And I'm going to start with the six-time Super Bowl champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cincinnati Bengals. And really, a game that has been lopsided and owned by the Steelers in recent years. But this one was really a beauty that went right down to the last whistle. And to me, going into the game, the matchup to watch was the dominant defensive line of the Bengals against the great offensive line of the Steelers. And the Bengals were amongst the league leaders in team sacks entering the game. Because both lines, respectively, feature some of the best players at their positions. Gino Atkins, the defensive tackle of the Bengals, entered week 6, leading the league in sacks with 6 from his 3-technique position. He's the best pass rushing defensive tackle in the game and has been for the last 4 or 5 years, aside from a guy similarly built out west in LA. His technique is impeccable because he uses his hands better than anyone on the interior line. He possesses a super rare combination of speed and incredible power, a never-ending motor, and most importantly, his toolbox features just about every pass rush move in the book, from straight bull rushes to rip moves and even swim moves. His low center of gravity combined with his elite strength and perfect hand placement allow him to gain leverage just about every time the ball is snapped. This is a defensive tackle who is getting double and sometimes even triple teamed with the back as well and still put up 12 and a half, 11, 9 and 9 sacks the past years and is currently sitting at 6 after just 7 weeks. He is the complete package and on the expressway to Canton on the first ballot. On the other side, the Steelers O-line features one of the best centers in the league in Morky's Pouncey as well as one of the best guards in David DeCastro. Both are fundamentally sound, play with perfect technique and are beyond powerful. The push they create is second to none 
and they won that matchup today for the Steelers as Big Ben was barely ever touched or even looked at. They shut down the Bengals D for most of the game. James Conner had a big day, running for 111 yards on just 19 carries and Big Ben threw for 369, including the game-winning touchdown to Antonio Brown. And really, Andy Dalton has developed a nice bond and chemistry with Tyler Boyd, connecting on two touchdowns with the third-year pro from Pitt. Joe Mixon had a couple of nice runs as well, but overall the Steelers D did a good enough job to give the offense a chance to win it, which they did. 28-21 Steelers the final there. My MVP in this game is the Steelers' O-line, winning the battle against the Bengals' dangerous pass rush. Great job, Malcolm, on your first game. Uh, excited to have you back for four more games that we're going to go over in today's show. Appreciate you, bud. So uh, we're going to move. We're going to move on to the next game, which was the Jaguars visiting the Cowboys. I said to you before this week, the Jaguars need a game plan for Ezekiel Elliott. Make Dallas one-dimensional. Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan, they had their most creative play calling they had the entire year. It was great. They On the Dallas offensive line, they did a great job utilizing double teams in the trenches and just very strong at the point of attack. Solid play from both guards on the, on, the, on, the Dal- on the Dallas offensive line. Both of them had clean technique, good pulling technique, and they won with strength at the point of attack against a really aggressive defense. I think the consensus was coming into this game, you know, if they couldn't stop Houston, how if the Cowboys couldn't stop the Houston Texans, Jadavion Watt, I'm sorry, J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney from wreaking havoc, how are they going to stop the best defense in the NFL? They did it with, with they did it with creative play calling, and also um, it's a little bit of a different defense than what Houston has. Houston will use a lot of swim moves and other other kinds of dip and rip moves, and the 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 Jaguars really just come straight at you. They come straight for, they come straight bull rushing. So it's just a different kind of attack. And Dallas is strong at their offensive line, so that helped them. The play calling for Dak Prescott was so much better. They allowed him to run. Thank God. Uh, you know, during you know d- during the game, he just he just was allowed to do was allowed to do you know a, a lot more. Calais Campbell t- took a really hard block on that game from from Ezekiel Elliott. Got him got him got him right in the ribs. Uh, Calais came into the game with an injury. So did Jalen Ramsey. So that, that that slowed them down a bit. But Jacksonville was was still aggressive. I mean, Yannick Ngakwe was was hard at the point of attack, hard to deal with all afternoon. He was mostly going one on one with Tyron Smith. Uh, he beat him. Tyron Smith, you know, got him a couple times, but he also he also got you know some double team help. But he was just playing with a high motor throughout the whole game. Uh, Cowboys fans. I mean, I mean, you know, Michael Gallup looked 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 really good on the limited time I saw him. He was one of their their top draft picks. Look, Jacksonville, they lost this game straight up because they got destroyed underneath and on the outside from slot receiver Cole Beasley, who's not only quick in the slot, but he's just also great on the outside as well. He's a shifty wide receiver with great change of direction, knows how to u- utilize a double move and can easily catch DBs off balance. Uh, when you when you look at the evolution of of the slot corner, you really teams now need to prioritize and have a slot corner to deal with guys like this. So uh, Dallas they they won they won that game in the trenches. Blake Bortles didn't didn't play his best. You know they the Cowboys got up, got up to a big lead early. Bortles essentially tried to force things through into triple coverage one time. Um, 
and he just he tried to do too much. And look, Jacksonville, they're, they're, they're not they're the kind of team where they need to get a lead early. They're not the comfort behind team because the way they win games is by beating you with defense early and then having Blake Bortles be a game manager. If you don't do that, it's hard for them to win. They didn't they didn't win today. My MVP is Cole Beasley. Big big game out of him. He is my MVP of this one. Great job. On to our next game. The Indianapolis Colts went to New Jersey because the Jets do play in New Jersey, as do the Giants. The Colts visited the New York Jets um, in, in a Sunday matchup. Let's talk a little bit about this one. Game started off with a pick six from Jets cornerback Morris Claiborne. Morris Claiborne is the Jets' best cornerback since Darrell Revis. He has tremendous mental processing and really developing into one of the very good cornerbacks in the league. It took him a few years. He was drafted sixth overall by the Cowboys five years ago, and slowly he's developed in, into a good player. Um, same, same thing with Dallas cornerback Byron Jones. Everyone thought he was a bust as well. Stayed with Dallas. Now now he's turned into a good player. So cornerbacks, take some time to develop. So don't if your team has a cornerback who's not producing year one, not the end of the world. But um, he, was, he was labeled a bust and really developed into a solid pro. That's my point. Um, when, when you look at how the Colts responded to that, look, the pick, the pick six wasn't Andrew Luck's fault. It deflected right off the receiver's hands. The Colts answered back right away. Um, they got a touchdown. They scored. Andrew Luck drove the ball down the field, looked good. Following that, Sam Darnold, he made the same sideline throws that caught my attention on his college tape. Um, he's not afraid to throw over the middle of the field, but uh, he's great with those sideline throws. Through, through there with great zip. Um, Darnold did have a big interception. It was a poorly underthrown ball. That was an easy interception for Malik Hooker, who was last year's first-round pick for the Colts. He was a high school basketball star. Surprise! Not surprised that he came up, came up and got that. Uh, the Jets turned over the ball right. Jets turned over the ball right after that. So, uh, and look, they turned the ball over again. Quincy Anunia fumbled, and then the ultimate alpha male safety. Jamal Adams of the New York Jets came downhill with bad intentions. And then once again, another turnover. He caused a forced fumble for the Jets. Great job by safety, Jamal Adams. The Jets' play calling on offense was good after that. They set up simple throws for Darnold. Robbie Anderson, the receiver, got separation on some plays. And Darnold came up really big on a, on a short yet very tight throwing window for a touchdown after that. The Colts' turnover issues costed them the game. It continued for them, um, and, and when a ball was deflected, uh, this one, this this interception was on Andrew Luck. He threw into too tight of a coverage. You do that sometimes, you know, the ball is going to get tipped. Uh, just, just you know, the turnovers is what really got to the Colts this game. Uh, you had two quarterbacks playing today who were eerily similar. In many ways, they stayed toe for toe with each other. Um, each teams, both teams played similar. The quarterbacks played similar. They they stood. They went toe for toe with each other. Both teams had a balanced running attack, but ultimately, just the turnovers. The Colts couldn't couldn't you know overcome that. Uh, the Colts' offense, you know, although they lost, they looked a lot more potent with the return of running back Marlon Mack. He looked explosive despite getting some great blocks. He was fun to watch and looked explosive. My MVP for this game is Sam Darnold, and now I'm going to bring back. Malcolm Horn. All right. Up next are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Atlanta Falcons. 
the Bucks traveled to Atlanta to take on the Falcons and this game literally came down to the wire. The Bucks were trailing 29-34, knocking on the door, but the Falcons managed to fend them off to secure the 5-point victory, lifting them to 2-4. And, and the Bucks actually marched the ball up and down the field just like the Falcons did, but the difference in this one were the turnovers, which is the difference between a good and a great quarterback. Great quarterbacks make a lot of plays without making mistakes. Good quarterbacks, they make plays, but also plenty of mistakes. And James Winston can definitely make plays. He has proven that time and time again, and he did so today, throwing for four touchdowns. However, there's always one or two back-breaking mistakes and interceptions in this game, and it wasn't any different today. He threw two costly picks that cut drives short and denied them points. Points that may have come in handy and may have won them the game in the end. Great quarterbacks just make a lot of plays and rarely ever mistakes, which was showcased once again by Matty Ice today, who, after a slow start in the first game of the season, has fully returned to his MVP level of play now the past few weeks, leading the league with 15 touchdowns to only two interceptions now. And he was once again absolutely spectacular on Sunday, finishing the game 31 of 41 for 354 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions and a rating of 125.5. Another impeccable outing for him. His accuracy and ball placement are on another level right now, as is his anticipation. His awareness, his pocket presence and his mind manipulating defenses being a master of chess, accounting for everyone and knowing where each player of every team is and where to go with the ball pre-snap as well as post-snap are without question Hall of Fame level great. He is and has always been one of the best deep throwers in the league and his bombs are handoffs 50 yards down the field. The receivers don't have to stop or even turn around all they gotta do is stretch out their arms because the ball will be thrown perfectly in front of them. Matt Ryan's performance is even more impressive when you take into account the fact that he doesn't only have to play his opponent, he also gotta battle his own defense, who for the life of God can't stop anybody if their lives depended on it. The only bright spot on a wounded Falcons D continues to be defensive back Damonte Casey. Filling in for the injured Robert Alford, who's out for the year, Casey has been absolutely balling. I was very high on him coming out of college. His instincts, his awareness and his route recognition and anticipation are second to none and he's showcasing that in the pros as well, having snagged three picks already this year. My MVP in this game is the MVP from 2016, Maddie Ice, who should also be one of the frontrunners for MVP this year, so far alongside Phil Rivers and Drew Brees. Alright, so the last game I'm going to be commenting on today will be the Los Angeles Rams and the Denver Broncos. So it actually had snowed prior to kickoff and I really like that because it paves the way to an old school type of football game. Lots of running, lots of hitting, which is exactly what we got and I love it. Jared Goff was a little off target for most of the day, but it didn't cost them, because Todd Gurley and the dominant, dominant Rams O-line did the heavy lifting, amassing 270 yards on the ground, 
208 of which were contributed by number 30 in white. And we saw the game trend continue that we witnessed in the past Broncos games. They have major issues stopping the run just a week after getting gashed by the Jets and allowing 300 yards to Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell. They were eaten alive by that Rams O-line and last year's Offensive Player of the Year. And really, he could have driven through those holes in a truck. And the Rams, they controlled the pace. Goff threw a pick to Darian Stewart, which gave the Broncos some hope and turned the momentum a little bit, but John Johnson returned the favor, picking off Keenum. And the Broncos scored a late touchdown and were driving late, but in the end, the cushion that the Rams had earned for themselves was big enough for them to leave the Mile High City with a 23-20 victory in snowy Denver. And the MVP of the game to me was obviously Todd Gurley, And you have to credit their O-line because they were so dominant. Awesome performance in a different style than we're used to seeing with the high-flying passing attack of the Rams offense. So Todd Gurley and the Rams O-line, the MVP of the Rams-Broncos game. And now, bringing back the voice with the sexiest American accent you've ever heard, myself, Steve the Scout. Okay, so let's talk about the Ravens and the Titans and not about my sexy voice. But if you think it is sexy, send me an email and let me know. SteveTheScout81 at gmail.com. The Ravens at the Titans. I noticed that this game right away, the ball was not jumping out of Marcus Mariota's hand and was lacking velocity. His hand injury is still a factor. I can see it. Joe Flacco, on the other hand, looked solid early on. Showed poise. Michael Crabtree, the wide receiver, ran great routes. And he, and he, got, he got separation. And you got to give credit to Marty Morningwig, the Ravens' offensive coordinator. He schemed up a lot of good plays. Early on, the Ravens were just a more physical team. They won the battles in the trenches on offense and defense, opening up running lanes, and just and also on defense. You know, they won by getting after Marcus Mariota. Uh, they were after him all day long. They t- let, let me just say this: the Titans gave up 11 sacks today. 11 sacks. That is why they lost 21 to nothing. And that is an all-time record for the Baltimore Ravens in the post-Ray Lewis and Rita era, might I add. Um, a lot of people were, were giving a hard time to Titans left tackle Taylor Luan. And look, Taylor Luan has been one of the best tackles in football the last few years since coming into the league. Um, you know, he, I saw him catch a lot of heat on Twitter today. And, and as someone who's played offensive line... If your foot is jacked up, it affects you. It affects you if you play every position. Give me a break. I mean, it's like it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, if he doesn't play, he's soft. And if he plays and struggles due to injury, then he's the scapegoat. Give me a freaking break. But Titans giving up 11 sacks, that, that is way too much. Zadarius Smith got three of those sacks. He is, he is my player of the game in that one. And then moving on to the Panthers... Taking on the Redskins. I said this game would be about physicality and turnovers, and that's exactly what it was. The game started out with the Panthers having a costly fumble by DJ Moore in the first few minutes on a punt return. And the second that happened, Alex Smith got the ball, and the second he threw his first pass and went through his progressions and released that ball, I knew he was going to have a bounce-back day. 
His ability to navigate the pocket, even when it was closing on him, was as good as any quarterback I watched on Sunday in that particular aspect. Looked poised. Um, you know, spe- you know, you could see it on the first few throws. I don't think that the Carolina Panthers accounted enough for Vernon Davis. They were probably game planning for tight end Jordan Reed, but Redskins tight end Vernon Davis, you know, he beat him. He beat them in soft zone coverage a few times and got into space for Alex Smith. Alex Smith had no problem taking the Redskins downfield with throws to Davis. Uh, great runs from Adrian Peterson, who looked phenomenal today. Adrian Peterson really looks so much better than what I saw with New Orleans or wherever else he traveled to, the Cardinals. He just he just looks healthy now and explosive again. Uh, punishing downfield runs all day long was physical. To follow it up with Adrian Peterson being physical, um, you know they were they were they were physical at the point of attack too in the off in the offensive line. Um, they they pressured Cam Newton on defense. Jerron Payne and Jonathan Allen were getting after Cam Newton's ass the entire first half. They pressured him. In, they, they pressured Cam Newton into a bad throw, and Josh Norman picked off and got his first interception in 20 games. Then they, then they get the ball back. And Carolina started, and then once they after after the Josh Norman interception, uh, Carolina, you know, they they eventually when they got the ball back, they started adjusting Cam Newton's game, and you started to see more short, easy completions. Uh, it allowed him to negate some of the pass rush that the Redskins were giving Cam Newton, and it really looked like that Carolina was at least starting to get someone on track. When yet again, DJ Moore fumbled again. And guess who knocked it out of his hand? Again, Josh freaking Norman. Carolina stayed in it in the second half. They developed a pass rush of their own. Um, Cam Newton became more physical. um, And just, you know, at at that point, you know, they were still focusing on the short plays with Cam Newton being a more physical presence than it worked. And you know what? It really worked for Carolina because they actually got back downfield. They got downfield. Uh, they 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 were down by six points with 50 seconds left. They were in the red zone, second and five. They they could they could have done a variety of other things to get a first down. What does Cam Newton do? Virtually every single play, he throw he throws it into the end zone instead of going for the easy five yard completion. I have no idea why they did that. They totally shot themselves in the foot, and that is why the Panthers lost this game. But when I'm talking about my MVP of the game, it's Josh Norman. He caused two turnovers. Outside of that, he had a very solid game. He is my MVP of this game. And today, Malcolm was actually in London to see the Seahawks battle the Raiders. So being that he was at the game, I'm definitely going to let him cover that one. Malcolm, take it away. The Seattle Seahawks and the Oakland Raiders from across the pond in London, England. And this was a game that was absolutely dominated by the Seahawks. The Raiders were overmatched in the trenches on both sides of the ball on the offensive and defensive lines, keeping Russell Wilson upright on one side and sacking Derek Carr six times on the other hand. And as he is almost every week, Russell Wilson was sensational yet again. His poise, his quickness with which he recognizes defenses and what's going on on the field accounts for everybody and knows exactly where he wants to go with the football. When you watch the tape every week, you're watching Hall of Fame caliber dominance. 
every single week. Wilson is always in control and can rarely ever be stopped. He will score and he will put the ball in the perfect place where only his receiver can get it. And that's just what he delivered today, tossing, tossing three touchdowns on 17 of 23 throws for 225 en route to an easy win for his Seahawks. And the biggest problem really for the Raiders was the fact that their pass rush just couldn't get home because their pass rush doesn't exist. They tried a lot of zones to make up for that and not leave their corners vulnerable on islands, but zones only work against average quarterbacks that have trouble completing passes into tighter windows. A great quarterback which just slice you apart, which is exactly what went down in this game. The game was never competitive and the Seahawks ran the ball almost exclusively in the second half because their lead was so comfortable. The Raiders are in big trouble in my opinion and their defense just can't get off the field and Carr was harassed all day long as well. So my MVP in this one is the man who led the league in touchdown passes last year and should have been the MVP, accounting for 86% of his team's offense, basically carrying them all by himself succeeding despite everything around him just burning, having the worst O-line, no running game whatsoever and being sacked more times than any other quarterback in 2017. Russell Wilson is the MVP. And before I get to the next game, I want to give you guys an impression of what it's like at the London Games because I don't think fans in the US are aware of just how big our sport has become in Europe. And the London Games see fans from all across Europe ga gather to celebrate football. Friends, fans from England, of course, from Germany, France, Italy, Spain, Croatia, Switzerland, Belgium. I could go on and on. And the cool thing is really you'll see jerseys from just about every team. And Regent Street, which is one of the biggest and most popular streets in London, is closed and filled with NFL fans. And they count over 500,000 there on every single game day. It's just a sea of football fans and it's really exciting. It's just awesome to see and I truly believe it will only grow. And yeah, it's just amazing to see the trend developing that way. Next up, the Buffalo Bills at the Houston Texans. And this game got off to a slow start due to the Bills' limitations at quarterback and the Texans' horrible offensive line. Deshaun Watson was sacked seven times through two picks and really struggled mightily in the first half. Despite that, the Texans shut out the Bills in the first 30 minutes and took a 10 to nothing lead into the locker rooms. In the third quarter, the Bills got Shady McCoy going and Nathan Peterman, who had entered the game for the injured Josh Allen, threw for a touchdown, helping the Bills take a 13-10 lead. Then on the ensuing drive, Deshaun Watson led a Texans drive that had them inside the Bills' one, with goal to go, but the Bills denied them and the Texans had to settle for a field goal. After that, the Bills had a chance to go on a game-winning drive themselves, needing only a field goal, and this is when the Texans' D really stepped up yet again. Jonathan Joseph picked Nathan Peterman and ran it back for the pick six, winning an ugly game for Houston. And really, you gotta give kudos to the Bills' defense, who played a great game and did everything in its power to keep their offense in it, their pass rush was dominant all afternoon. They kept the weapons of Houston in check. They really forced mistakes. Sacked Watson seven times. But in the end, 
turnovers decided the game and they were really backbreakers. So my MVP in this game is the Texans D who came up big with timely takeaways when the Texans needed it most. Good job, Malcolm. And now I am moving on to the next game. And it was the it was the most exciting game of the week where the Chicago Bears hosted the Miami Dolphins. This game was a heart-pounding thriller. My good friend Angelo from Miami told me that this Dolphins game took a good 20 years off his life. Hang in there, Angelo. The Dolphins got the win. We have warm blankets, electrolytes, and hot cocoa coming your way. Dolphins quarterback Ryan Tannehill was a last-second scratch due to a shoulder injury on his right throwing shoulder. Brock Osweiler came in. He put up big numbers on offense, but I would not get excited about it. He's still a turnover machine. He still has decision-making issues. Um, You saw that in Denver. You saw it in Houston, and you even saw it today. You need a lot more than a a country arm and good feet work to be a good quarterback in the NFL, and I don't know if he gives you much more than that. To... You know, I don't want to keep making it sound like I'm trying to throw him under the bus, but I mean, they they also they didn't have to prepare for him all week. You prepare all week for one quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, his tendencies, and now last second you go against a guy you're 100% unprepared for. Take nothing away from Brock, but it complicates things. He played he, he played better th- than than you would have than you would have probably expected to. For the Bears, Mitch Trubisky was pressured early in this game. But he hung in there and and made and made some good throws. On the on the other side of the ball, Chicago wasn't getting pressure the first half, um, surprisingly. Uh, and I think that was a surprise because the Dolphins got their offensive line got beaten like a drum by the Cincinnati Bengals defensive line last week. So you figure going against Khalil Mack and the Bears, they're going to probably mess them up even worse. But no, uh, they didn't. Maybe the best catch that I saw on Sunday. Um, and going back to Mitch Trubisky was a sideline throw from him to Taylor Gabriel. Uh, Taylor Gabriel, Taylor Gabriel is not a household name, but even guys who are not household names, they're in the NFL, the world-class athletes. Uh, surprised the Bears couldn't generate a pass rush. Uh, Khalil Mack didn't have a sack the, the whole day. Towards the end of the second half, the Bears actually got downfield only to have Jordan Howard, their star running back, fumble in the end zone. In the second half, the Bears started to generate pressure. It may have not showed up on the stat sheet, but they started to close it on Brock Osweiler, which was reminiscent of what you saw uh, in the game against Cincinnati last week where the Dolphins got beaten by the Bengals. Mitch Trubisky continued to play well throughout this game. He threw with touch and accuracy on his deep passes and overall just a promising game from the young quarterback from the University of North Carolina. Trubisky has some wheels he can throw well outside of the pocket. Many starting quarterbacks struggle throwing across the hashes, throwing across their body, which you shouldn't do, and throwing on different angles. Not a problem for Mitch Trubisky. He does he does all of that. No question to me, he's turning into, into an exceptional quarterback. But fast forward, what happened at what happened at the end of the game? Why was this such a thriller? So, you know, you look at um, you look at what happened at the end of this game. This game this game went into overtime. Tie 28 to 28. Um, the Dolphins, they got downfield thanks to a big run by Frank Gore. They had they had first and goal on the one-yard line. Um, and with, with the ability to just close out the game right then and there in overtime, what happens? Their backup running back fumbles. So Chicago gets the ball back. 
They go downfield, kick a field goal, miss it. And with 15 seconds remaining in overtime, the Dolphins go downfield and kick a field goal of their own to win the game. And I got to give the MVP vote to the Dolphins' offensive line. They they showed they showed up big in the second half, even though they were starting to get beaten. They they hung in there and allowed and allowed them to win that game. Allowed them to make big running plays. The Dolphins' offensive line is my MVP for that one. And today, the Minnesota Vikings hosted the Arizona Cardinals. Here's what I predicted for this game. That the Vikings, their pass rush was now alive. They were going to get after Josh Rosen. And when Josh Rosen gets pressure, he, you know, he struggles. And let me just say this. On his college tape, it's apparent. When he starts to get pressure, he hears footsteps. He doesn't always have the best pocket awareness. It's certainly something that can be developed. And he, and he, get, and he gets out of a rhythm. Um, and and that's, re- that's really what helped them win the game. Kirk Cousins played well, and the Vikings was just they were just dominant on the defensive line. Sheldon Richardson was was incredibly disruptive in the run game. Daniil Hunter has been their best edge rusher this year. He came in on, on a lot of key plays. Again, Kirk Cousins was good, and again Adam Thielen with another hundred yard game. I mean, this is I think I believe this is like the fourth or fifth game in a row he's over a hundred yards. Um, Minnesota, you know, they were. They were, they were able to establish the run, too. So, I mean, they, they just looked complete everywhere. Latavius Murray, he, he got he got multiple 20-yard runs. The offensive line helped them out. Really, the Vikings, just a good game all over. Um, you know, you look at some of the losses that the Vikings had this year, but they really look like now they have hit their stride and are developing into a team that can, that can contend in the NFC this year. My MVP of, the, P of this game is Latavius Murray. All right, Malcolm, we're bringing you back for one more game, then I'm going to close it out with the game of the week. All right, so the last game I'm going to be commenting on today will be the Los Angeles Rams and the Denver Broncos. So it actually had snowed prior to kickoff, and I really like that because it paves the way to an old-school type of football game. Lots of running, lots of hitting, which is exactly what we got, and I love it. Jared Goff was a little off target for most of the day, but it didn't cost them because Todd Gurley and the dominant, dominant Rams O-line did the heavy lifting, amassing 270 yards on the ground, 208 of which were contributed by number 30 in white. And we saw the game trend continue that we witnessed in the past Broncos games. They have major issues stopping the run just a week after getting gashed by the Jets and allowing 300 yards to Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell, they were eaten alive by Dak Rams O-line and last year's Offensive Player of the Year. And really, he could have driven through those holes in a truck. And the Rams, they controlled the pace, got through a pick to Darian Stewart, which gave the Broncos some hope and turned the momentum a little bit, but John Johnson returned the favor, kicking, uh, picking off Keenum. And the Broncos scored a late touchdown and were driving late. But in the end, the cushion that the Rams had earned for themselves was big enough for them to leave the Mile High City with a 23-20 victory in snowy Denver. And the MVP of the game to me was obviously Todd Gurley. And you have to credit their O-line because they were so dominant. Also in performance in a different style than we're used to seeing with the high-flying passing attack of the Rams' offense. So Todd Gurley... 
and the Rams O-line the MVP of the Rams-Broncos game. All right, and I am wrapping things up with the game of the week. We had a heavyweight matchup between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid versus Bill Belichick. The best two tight ends in the NFL, Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski. Uh, this was... This could, this could be a future AFC title game that we see this year. It's the GOAT, who a lot of most people say he's the GOAT, versus the hottest quarterback in football right now in the NFL this year. So, great heavyweight matchup. Let's break it down. First quarter, the Mahomes, he just didn't look settled in right away. He was erratic with his throws. May have been nervous, possible. Uh, but he was just off on a lot of his throws early on in the game. Wasn't settled in right away. He hurried through things. He missed, um, and he missed um, Patriots linebacker Dante Howard, Dante Hightower. Dante Hightower was sitting in a QB spy. Mahomes never saw it, uh, and then he th and then he threw over the middle, and he was right there to pick it off. The Pats responded after Dante Hightower picked off the ball. They responded with well-timed rushing plays to catch the Chiefs off guard with rookie Sonny Michelle and, and James White. A good play, I know some good players that I noticed that were playing today. Let me just talk about D Ford. D Ford, uh, the Chiefs Chiefs defensive end linebacker, didn't get any sacks, but he was getting pressure early and often in this game. Uh, he he was he was playing hard throughout the whole game. He was consistently a a trouble to deal with. Created pressure, didn't didn't get home, but he really looked like an improved player. Um, it didn't impact the, the Patriots offensively. They ended up scoring 43 points. They beat the Chiefs 43-30. to But what else unfolded in this game? Look, the second quarter, Brady and the Pats, they, they were in the end zone twice. Mahomes, he started to play, he started to settle down a bit. As usual, Mahomes made an insane throw on the run, and the Pats did what they do best, and that is make you beat yourselves. How do they do this? Well... The Patriots, what they did is they noticed that the Chiefs are always in a single high cover one type coverage. They know that they know that they got one safety deep, and on the outside are cornerbacks. Uh, one of them being Stephen Nelson, who is matched up against Josh Gordon, and there is no way he's going to cover him. So what do they do? They have they have Josh Gordon go on a go on a, on a vertical route, five yard five yards away from the touchdown pass interference. It sets them up. Trust me, the Patriots they plan on things like this. They don't. They they don't they don't win by accident all the time. They make you beat yourselves, and that was one way they did it tonight. Um, I gotta say, at the end of the first half, I really disagreed with with what the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes did, and it ended up costing them the game. At the end of the first half, the Chiefs and Mahomes they were they were in the red zone, and they acted like that it was completely unacceptable to kick a field goal. And, and that it's okay to force throws even into triple coverage. It is not. It is not. You don't throw the ball into triple coverage when, the ha when you have the option of taking the easy field goal for three points. And they lost by three points. So just getting, just getting my frustrations out there. I don't know why they forced it. Should have kicked the field goal. I'm sorry. It's the, it's the first half. It's not, it's not four down territory yet. Uh, going, going into the second half, the Chiefs have the ball on a third and two. Kareem Hunt, their running back, runs a wheel route and finds himself one-on-one -on -one with Jason McCourty 
on the outside of the field, and he gained enough acceleration to beat him over the top, and with no additional safety help, that, that was a long home run catch by, by, the, by their running back, Kareem Hunt. Uh, again, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he started to settle down. He played a lot better close to the end of the first half, and in the second half, he looked really sharp. But as, as, as sharp as he looked, the Patriots' offense stayed, stayed on sync. Um, what really helped what really helped the Chiefs in this game, outside of Patrick Mahomes settling down and playing well, was the speed of Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's game speed was, as usual, able to create big plays. It's you have you know look, you have to game plan around him maybe more so than any other wide receiver in the NFL right now because there's no wide receiver in the NFL that has his game speed and route running combination. You can't play cover zero or cover one because virtually no DB can keep up with him. And if, and if he beats you over the top, you are screwed. On three different occasions on third down, Tyreek Hill used his speed to break off, which led to him scoring three touchdowns. He might be the most difficult receiver to cover ever when you're talking about game speed. It is once in a lifetime. World class. Um, I know a lot of guys that are 40-yard dash heroes but they don't know how to convert their speed to work in, into an NFL route tree or run the full route tree, excuse me. The, the Pats won this game 43-40. to Close game, back and forth offensive war. Uh, the Pats' uh, play calling was just superb. They may have let up a lot of points, but schematically on defense, they were, they were very creative as they always are, as they always are on offense, maxim, mass, maximizing their personnel. Um, and again, I just, I just really thought that at the end of the first half, the Chiefs, should have kicked a field goal, they would have been able to stay in this one. So that wraps up everything for my Sunday post-game analysis. I appreciate you guys. Feel free to send me feedback on the show as well as send me questions. Every Wednesday is question and answer day, but if you guys want to give me feedback on the show, you can also send that directly to stevethescout81 at gmail.com. Hopefully this is the best damn post-game show you've heard all week and the only one you need to hear. And I am Steve the Scout with the Pro Football Scouting Podcast, signing off. I will answer your questions on Wednesday. And so, another story was written. NFL Week 6 in the books. I will see you Wednesday to answer your questions. ha 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 